Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Yo Soy. Today is a very, very, <clears throat> excuse me. Today's a very, very special video, a video, no, a recording, because we have one amazing guest, our first guest uh, since we started doing co-hosting for Yo Soy. And it's none other than Daniel Leon Davis is here in the house. So Daniel is not only an amazing person and activist and just all around amazing human being, but we're also related in a way, which is funny because we say that we're cousins, but we're not really cousins. That's true. That's true. Do you think that's just like a like a Hispanic thing that we say we're like family members when we're like just like family friends and things like that? Do you think or you think like other communities also do that? I, I've seen it in other communities, but it's definitely prevalent in like Latino communities. Cause I left and right, I have to be like, people are like, okay, so if that's your cousin, like people will be trying to figure it out. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're cousins, okay? <laughs> you didn't ride in the back of a minivan to Disney with her, did you? I did. So she's my cousin, okay? Exactly, exactly. Did you eat pudding cups in the middle while your family was getting drunk in the right, living right? right. Like that's so that's cousins. what it takes. That's what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we have we have that little story. No, we we don't know exactly how like if we try to pin back how we are related, it's it's like you need a whole map of like a whole family tree to kind of connect us. But Oh wow! Other than that, so we are cousins. We've been through it since we were like what, like very young. There's a picture of us on this like bed at a mall, and it is so funny. I look so ridiculous. It's the <laughs> outfit, it, the haircut, everything was just the oof. '90s. It was the '90s. Oh look, yeah, on some, some Maria, <laughs> some Maria. Uh, Maria was out here looking like Dora the Explorer. I was <laughs> actually like pre-Dora, pre-OG, like the OG. I mean. When they created the I was the inspiration, the like, okay? Maria, <laughs> how Maria dresses. We definitely got to show you all uh, some of these pictures. Oh my god, maybe I'll post it uh, on the on the info for this for this. Oh, one. I love uh, it. But yeah, Please you do. all have to see that picture. It was it's magical. Pero, you also had your fair share of um, outfits and haircuts throughout your lifetime. <laughs> oh, I've seen yeah. them. I knew. You I know. knew. I knew you. Pre ball, Daniel. Oh had my a lot god! Pre experimenting. Okay, <laughs> I did a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Well, to get us started today, we kind of want to hear from you. We want to share with our listeners, like what you've been up to, your story. I know that you have a very powerful story. You know that a lot of people in our community can connect with. Um, so the first thing I want you to share with us is a little bit about that, about your story, where you come from, um, and how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Well, uh, first of all, thank you all for having me on. Super, super excited to be here. Um, I think it's like really dope uh, as someone who considers themselves a storyteller uh, to see podcasts like this, where like, you know, people like me uh, feel represented and get to hear stories from other people, because a lot of times um, what I realized growing up is, uh, you know, in American culture, everything is so individualistic that you're made to wow. feel like, oh, yeah, you're you're the one going through this and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And oh, wait, okay. quick question. And am, I, am I allowed to curse on here? Oh, you can curse. Oh, yeah. oh, I, I, I curse you words can just come curse. out easily. Okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, but like this whole bullshit narrative of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And so 
Um, one, thank you all for creating this platform. And as I said, really excited to be on. Um, so for me, whenever I start my story, I actually start uh, on November 26, 1995. Uh, I start on that day because it's the time where my mom and I flew from Venezuela, uh, where I was born, to Miami, uh, which is actually where I'm currently living now. Um, and I remember this day so specifically for two reasons. One, my mom had me at 44. So my mom looked like my grandma, right? And I have a very like intense and loving relationship with my sister. And my mom had told me that we were coming to see my sister, right? My sister's name is Anna. And so we get here, we're going through immigration at, at the Miami International Airport. And, you know, an officer stops us and asked me, I'm six years old at the time, asked me a very simple question, which is like, is this your mom? Literally, he asked me like probably like 10 questions and every single one I just answered Anna. Meanwhile, my mom is like looking at me like I'm going to murder you because we're going <laughs> to get in trouble. God. Needless to say, I think we spent like three or four hours detained, essentially detained. Oh, wow. right? I'm putting quotation marks up um, because I refuse to say that I refuse to answer any of his questions because I was so excited. Eventually something kicks in and I'm like, yeah, this is my mom, whatever, like whatever I got to say <laughs> to get me out of here. Um, and we get out and I get to see my sister. And the reason I start with that story is because that was actually my first interaction with immigration. Right. That was the first time that I actually um, had to deal with, you know, this is prior to ICE, but U.S. Mm -hmm. Customs, uh, Customs and Border Patrol. Um, and really, I think it would set the tone for things that would happen later in my life, right? Mm -hmm. So me, like so many other immigrants, my mom was like all about education, right? Um, and lucky for her, I was really fucking good at school. And so, um, you know, my mom went from having an entire career being an interior designer and a fashion designer in Venezuela to sacrificing all that to literally like being a janitor at the apartment building we lived in and being a janitor at the movie theater at Aventura Mall here in uh, South Florida which I thought was dope as fuck because I got to watch movies all the time for free. Um, I watched like Sixth Sense by myself in like the biggest theater there is at Aventura Mall. Um, and so, you know, you as a kid, you don't really always understand like how poor you are or how mm -hmm. or, or, or any of that because you're really just going through life in like the one experience that you mm -hmm. have, right? right. Um, and it isn't until you start getting older that you start being like, oh, wait, I didn't have access to that. Oh, I didn't have mm -hmm. access to that. And so... You fast forward, uh, as I went through my educational career, my mom also went through her American dream. And I'm putting quotes up, but my mom went from being a janitor and working three jobs to literally owning her, her own company and being one of the head interior designers for one of the largest housing companies in the entire nation without literally, and Maria can tell you this, speaking zero English. Like my mom oh, wow. refused. My mom refused. Your mom my was mom a boss ass bitch. Bro, my mom used to communicate. <laughs> I used to be like, you know, a lot of people have to, I used to translate for my mom all the time, right. but my mom then got to the point that she was like, I'll just draw something. They'll get it. And she would literally, and they I would did. Sit, there's some, sometimes I'd be like, how the fuck do you understand? Whatever. They would get shit done. And <laughs> wow. I'm like, I'm like talking like executive level. Like my mom's like yeah. dealing with like executives and she's just like, yeah, they get it. They understand what I'm saying. I just point at some shit and I do this. Uh, but yeah, she was definitely That's a awesome. podcast bitch. Um, <laughs> But what, what was really interesting is, you know, I grew up, I grew up very, I grew up since I was here, well, I started my education here in first grade, 
and I was held back like a lot of fucking students uh, who come from other countries. I was held back. I came in halfway through the, my first grade year. So I was held back one year, which actually was played as an advantage, advantage to me. But what was interesting is even though I continued, I was getting straight A's, I was doing all this stuff. Um, me and my mom's tension actually started pre my immigration stuff. My mom and I's tension started when I came out as gay. Um, so, you know, my mom being two generations above me, um, it was something really hard for her when I came out during my junior year. I mean, Maria was there. So many of my family was involved. Yeah. And frankly, I was the first openly gay mm -hmm. person in my family. And at the time, I didn't realize that. But then mm -hmm. as I got older, I was like, oh, that's why there was so much pushback. And like, mm -hmm. frankly, I come from a huge like, I mean, huge family. Yeah. And I've done the math and the stats just don't add up. Like, mm. I know I'm not the only one. We, we know some people. Right. That right. we're like, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like, some things just don't make sense, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. You're like, um, oh, oh, you're still playing the old, oh, yeah, I don't have Oh, you were roommates? Anybody. <laughs> right, right, the roommates um, But it's just been really interesting, I think, um, that in that being sort of like my first piece of tension with my mom, uh -huh. because, you know, I grew up so close to her. And, and for me growing up close to my mom was interesting because my mom was like a total artist. And even though she like pushed so much, so much education on me, all I wanted was to be like her. All I wanted was to also be an artist. Um, and over time, I realized that for her, that was hard because, you know, in very stupid traditional senses, she was like, if he's an artist, he's gonna be gay. You know, mm, she thought the arts right. would make me gay. Um, when in reality, it was like so much more than that. Um, Absolutely. Pause. Yeah, we can pause real quick because Maria just, we just lost her, y'all. So we're gonna take a quick break and go from there. Okay, hello everybody. We are back. <laughs> we I was having some little technical issues, but we are all together. It was like Maria se fue. Maria se fue. <laughs> but Maria is back. <laughs> we're back. We're back. <laughs> There's a title of all the right, song. Daniel. <clears throat> Sorry all for, right. for that, but okay. All good. So keep going all good. Um, like I was telling y'all, you know, my, my first piece of tension with my mom really came out of me coming out as being gay. And luckily mm -hmm. that really only like lasted a year. Um, it lasted a little bit longer than that in regards to like little technicalities here, having to correct her on certain things. Um, but the real sort of like somewhat tension came uh, during my senior year of college. So my senior year of college, um, I start, you know, looking into applying for schools. And like I told you, I was like mostly a straight A student and I was like really, really into school. And so I was like looking for some to go into some Ivy League schools because I felt that that's what I needed. And I remember going to apply for school, sitting down with my counselor. And one of the questions she asked me is like, hey, you know, for all of this, you need your social security number. I haven't had to ask my mom for my social security number up until that point. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask my mom and I'm going to come, come back. And I remember and I went home and I asked my mom and she was like, you know, um, I don't I don't have one for you. I just use zeros. She had talked to a lawyer. And the long story short here is basically she had been talking to lawyers um, and I had been an applicant for residency, I believe since like the age of like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. um, and 
part of this was centered on the fact that she was like, look, just put some zeros down um, on the application. I talked to a lawyer, you can put zeros, but she still didn't explain why. And I didn't really question it. I was just like, okay, cool, whatever. So I end up applying to schools uh, using all zeros as my social, uh, which actually was like something you were allowed to do back then. Um, and when I did, I got accepted into a number of like super top schools. Um, I tend, you'll, you'll see them named in some of the speeches I've done. I've stopped naming them, but like got into some pretty big schools and got a full ride to every single one. That's awesome. It was awesome until I get a notice, uh, my number one school is Columbia. And I get a notice that I still need to fill out FAFSA, even though they're merit-based, um, scholarships, I need to fill out FAFSA. So I was like, okay, no problem. I go back to my mom, I was like, hey, I need to fill out FAFSA. And that's when she finally tells me that I'm undocumented. Um, and that moment like really changed everything for me. You know, if as, as far as like life had been up until that point, I woke up every day, went to school, said pledge of allegiance to the same flag that everybody else fucking said pledge of allegiance to. And all of a sudden I didn't have this paper. And you know, this was like at the beginning of undocumented and unafraid. And for me, right. I was very afraid. I refused, it, including my mom. I mean, that's partly the reason that she hadn't told me because she was afraid that I'd tell someone and then we'd get deported, right? Um, and for me, it was very much like drilled into me, like, no, you can't tell anybody. It doesn't matter if they're your best friend. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter who they are because like they could tell somebody and then you could get deported. Um, and there was a lot of fear because of that. And so I ended up not going to school, um, which was like really devastating. And, and looking back at it, it's actually the first time I became like really depressed. Um, and I took a year off. And in that year off, um, was really blessed to be able to, uh, you know, I had to do certain things that I didn't want to do, um, such as getting a fake social, getting a fake license. I actually just got my first ever Florida license. Wow. Official one. Congrats. And I was very excited. Um, <laughs> but getting a fake license. And, you know, a lot of people frowned upon that, so on and so forth. But it's like, all right, I, I needed to make money and survive. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like I could right. just be like, oh, yeah, no, everything's fine. And so I ended up, um, I grew up in music and grew up dancing. And I ended up teaching at a dance studio uh, that I went to growing up. Um, and in doing that, I remember we were on tour for like a national competition and everyone had been pushing me, the owners of the studio uh, who were my best friend's parents. And like, everyone was like, Daniel, like, why aren't you going to school? And what I told everyone was like, oh, I'm an applicant for residency and it's just like, whatever, which was the truth. But I refused to tell people I was undocumented. And so I'm gonna fast forward this a little bit, but got super, super lucky one of the parents uh, to one of the kids I used to teach uh, was a high school principal in the county I was in. And they were like, you're too smart. We got to introduce you to somebody. We're going to make this happen. Introduces me to one of the VPs at Seminole State College of Florida. Uh, I ended up going there for my first two years, um, have everything paid for. There was like a, a glitch in the bright futures that like said that if your parent was a resident, then you were allowed to go. And for context, Bright Futures is the statewide scholarship here in Florida. Um, and so I did that for two years and in that became super politicized. I uh, got a fellowship uh, with the Clinton Global Initiative University, uh, which was centered around basically like building organizers on campuses around the world. 
um, working on issues from like homelessness, which is partly what I worked on to uh, racial justice. Um, and that moment really actually kickstarted for me what would become like my organizing and activist career. Um, from there, I would go on to do multiple fellowships and eventually get a scholarship called the Jack Kent Cook uh, Scholarship, um, which was one of the few scholarships at the time actually offering uh, money to undocumented students. And when I got that, I transferred to American University and at American University, um, I had the privilege of studying under Julian Bond, who was one of Dr. King's students, um, as well as one of the organizers of SNCC during the civil rights, uh, one of the leaders of SNCC during the civil rights movement. Um, and he was actually the person who I first told I was undocumented to. And I'm telling him like, all right, this is, I'm gonna tell him and then, you know, I'm probably not gonna tell somebody else for a while. And he was like, that's beautiful. Um, I know that that's really intense and it's really personal, but he's like, you have to tell your story. And he's like, so there's an event next week on campus. He's like, I want you to come out. And I did. And I think about that moment all the time because I remember not even my fucking roommates knew, right? Like I'd even prep my roommates. I was like, hey roommates, come to this thing I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm still like really good friends with them. We're actually going to Disney together soon, but um, yeah, I came out in front of the whole school and I remember the next day I woke up and, you know, it, it, it isn't fully easy. Um, I had the privilege of being at the time that I came out, I was one of the few undocumented people in my uh, family. My mom already had a residency. The rest of my family was fine. I was like, it, the irony was that I was the most quote unquote American but the only mm -hmm. undocumented one. Um, and what was crazy was that I woke up the next day being like, yeah, I did that. Now we got it. Like, what am I doing next? Whatever. And all over campus, there were posters uh, that said Deport Daniel with my picture and the number to ICE. Um, oh, and obviously they got taken down, so on and so forth. But it, it, it was just like, it was a check for me that like, all right, cool. You came out, but that doesn't mean you're safe. Right. And so needless to say, I'm going to fast forward a lot, but um, I end up becoming even more politically active, both on campus and off campus. Uh, living in D.C. was like amazing uh, for me during that period. But I always knew that even though I liked policy, I also liked entertainment. Like I went to an art school mm -hmm. for high school. Mm -hmm. I was really into like wanting to work in the entertainment industry um, and I ended up moving to New York with my then boyfriend uh, after I graduated um, and getting a really big job as the chief of staff to uh, Russell Simmons political director. And that's what then kicked off my career and what I now uh, call myself a cultural strategist, basically working with celebrities and organizations around building social impact campaigns from everything from immigration to mass incarceration. Um, and to give you all a little bit of context as to how I got to where I am now in regards to my immigration status, um, in 2013, uh, the Supreme Court uh, came down with a decision on the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, which this is pre uh, the, the gay marriage or the same-sex marriage ruling um, that basically allowed for the first time ever for same-sex couples to act as such at a federal level, right? So you could be married 
in New York City or New York State uh, in a same-sex marriage, but not have that recognized by the federal government. And so even before the same-sex ruling came down, I believe in 2015, in 2013, when the Defense of Marriage Act uh, ruling came down, it meant for the first time ever that like on federal paperwork, my fiance, who would then become my husband, could actually petition for me uh, for immigration. And so we got married in 2013, uh, petitioned, and I became a resident uh, within that year. Um, and then actually it took until 2019 for me to become a citizen. Uh, and now we've been, this year marks eight years of being married and 10 years together. So wow. yeah, wow. that's a little bit about me. I know that, <laughs> was, amazing. that was kind of long, but oh, I love skip it. through parts real quick. There are so many questions. I know, right? I I'm now. Well, and let me, let me ask Daniel too, like that intersection, cause you spoke on like, you're coming out as gay and then you're coming out as like undocumented right and so how how is that holding on to those two big pieces of your identity and not sharing that it sounded like there's like relief after that right on both fronts and how did you manage those two things you know simultaneously yeah. intersectionally? um it was really interesting to me because i knew i was gay when i was like five or six like what was that like moment six. for you? Like what was that moment that you were like, I'm gay? <laughs> I liked my best friend in first grade. His name was Charlie. I don't remember his last name. One day I'm gonna remember and I'm gonna be like, You're how I knew. You. <laughs> you, it was you. It was actually here in Miami, WJ Bryan. I liked oh my, my best gosh. friend in first grade. And I was like, Yeah, I'm gay. But but with that also came, I literally remember telling myself, first of all, I dated it. I was definitely like one of the gays who was like, I'm gonna date every girl so that like nobody like guesses. So I had girlfriends literally, I believe up until sophomore year of high school, the end of sophomore year of high school, right? And so in my mind, frankly, I had told, and this isn't an exaggeration, I had decided probably by like fourth or fifth grade that I had to lie that like, all right, I'm gonna get married to a woman and I'm gonna have kids because if I don't do that, then like, I'm gonna be harmed in some way because the way that our families, you know, it's changed now a lot because I'll call them the fuck out. Um, but the way that our families, like our parents joked about gay people, right around us, in front of us mm -hmm. as kids, it was in a very violent way, right? Horrible, it wasn't so horrible. much like, oh yeah, we're gonna murder them, but it was very much in a violent way of like- Like making you know, fun of and- yeah. Making fun of, and unless like, oh, unless it, the irony for me is like, how the fuck can you be best friends with your motherfucking hairstylist? And you're um, all like kikiing with him, but like the second that it's like somebody in your family, it's a problem. And so mm -hmm. um, it was really interesting in that regard for me. Like when I came out as gay, that was like a huge relief. I remember telling like my best friends, I remember telling my family, like, and even though there was like some drama involved with it, it was such a big relief. What was interesting is I came out junior year senior year I find out I'm undocumented and so it, it just felt like I got uh -huh. like I had a year break and then it was like back to the closet we go right because it was all the same shit right. and this time it felt even more intense because you know the fear with like being gay was like yes there was like a violent fear like a harm fear but with like being undocumented it was like yo I could get deported 
to a country mm-hmm. that I literally do not know. Mm-hmm. Like to a, and that's what like scared me so much. I could be separated from my family mm-hmm. in the ways that people are now, right? Like and that mm-hmm. that that just like frankly I'm still dealing from the trauma of that mm-hmm. in the sense that I've now just gotten used to like not doing habitual things that I grew up doing because of the ways that I saw my mom interact with like the concept of immigration. Like I talk about Aventura all the time because as a kid, my mom, every time she saw somebody with a badge, she would like pull me closer and I never understood. I was just like, okay, badge bad, right? Like do not go by badge, do not, you don't need badge. And now I like think that's funny as fuck because I'm like, Bro, you were really like pulling me from like Paul Blart, the mall cop. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the badge don't mean shit, you know? And so it's like the mall cop oh can't support you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's that fear of like what, what comes with being an immigrant here. And so yeah. the intersection mm-hmm. for me is interesting though, right? Because it's that feeling of like being in the closet um, and having, as you said, Alejandro, like that being able to like, come out twice was right. beautiful. Um, and the intersection for me was that I actually came out as undocumented um, on National Coming Out Day. So at the time, United We Dream had this really big campaign and it was essentially around like undocu, undocu queer people like myself. Um, and it was actually the day I walked around campus. I remember they released these shirts. This is how broke I used to be. They released these shirts that said, uh, I am undocumented, right? And then it had undocumented, like broken up. And I wanted one so bad. It was like $20. Could not afford. So in natural, like Daniel form, I went and printed a piece of paper. And I'm pretty sure I have pictures. Printed a piece of paper and literally put it on my shirt. And it just said, I'm undocumented. And people asked me about it all day. And like, we talked about it. We got into a debate about it in class. Um, But yeah, that intersection has always been really interesting to me. I have a lot of uh, folks who are, I I have a lot of folks in my community who are undocu-queer. And you know, it's so unique because it is similar, but different in that sense of like having Mm -hmm. to be closeted because of of potential harm yeah and i think at the time where you came out as undocumented think about it in 20 2000 what like nine that's when you graduated high school right because i was 2010 I think yeah so i graduated 2008 and then i had that gap year so it's like think about it back then it was such a scary thing to say out loud that you were undocumented i feel like now there's a lot more youth that has after everything that's happened that come out and are probably sharing that they're undocumented but back then i feel like there was so much fear mm-hmm. around it so i can only like imagine how how that must have felt right like yeah and the fear behind that yeah yeah and, and i mean for and, you before your family too uh, of course of course and to this day i mean i i um i have a mentee who just recently came out Right. And it's like, even with having that so many people and so many community Mm -hmm. members, like, you know, you still want to be able, you also are afraid that people are going to treat you differently. And I think that's Mm -hmm. also the correlation between coming out as gay and coming out as undocumented. Outside of the harm piece, you're just afraid that people are going to treat you differently. Like, oh, people aren't going to think of me for the same opportunities if they know I'm undocumented or people aren't, you know. And all of that really starts to like mess with you mentally. Um, but it does also mean a lot to have community uh, when you do come out and be like, oh, mm-hmm. there's a there's a bunch of us. There's literally like millions of us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so 
Daniel, too, how did you... Because you mentioned when you came out undocumented and then they posted these, like, posters of you, right? What was your reaction when that happened? And how did you kind of, like, navigate that space afterwards? So for me, when... I woke up the next day and saw those posters and it wasn't just seeing the posters because it was also in like, I forget what our little online community thing was, but it was on there too. It was just like one, someone took the time to make like a reward poster. It was literally like, oh a, like God. you know. Like a Western movie. Yes, it was like a Western movie <laughs> reward poster. Also, the picture that they chose, I had more problems with the picture that they chose because I was wearing red skinny jeans. And I was like, really? You could have chosen so many other things. But no, um, (laughs) honestly, it was, at the time, it was really terrifying, right? It was like, yo, what the fuck? Like, I remember calling my mom and being like, yo, this just happened and I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like really afraid. And, um, And I think she just reminded me like, look, this this was bound to happen. You're going to have people who react in this way. You're going to have these moments. And it's really important for you to like, just remember, like, at the end of the day, you came out, you can't change the fact that you came out. And you really just need to stick to the fact um, or, or, or need to stick to the work that you're trying to do to the things that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so frankly, it just fired me the fuck up. Like I was like, all right, y'all want to play this game? Let's go. Like I can do this all day. Um, and and for me, I think it was a little different. And I recognize this now and it was definitely a privilege, but like I fit the quote unquote good immigrant narrative. Mm. Right. Um, and I used to use that to my advantage until it until I realized the harm that it caused the community, right? Because like I don't give a fuck if you're not a straight A student, you're a human and you deserve to be here and deserve to not have the fear of being deported. But I was protected in the privilege that I was like the model example right i was the straight a student who volunteered who xyz who you know who was like really into like this like american shit um and i think i felt a protection from that but yeah it it just fired me up to be honest yeah i can only i can only imagine right like waking up and seeing that and then for you right who exactly how you how you explain like you feel like you do all the right things up to a certain point and then to to be presented with that and to like see the backlash from people that don't even know you or know your story or know where you've come from or know what you've done um that you definitely took it in such a way where you like i noticed that you really took that and and made it your passion and, and fired you up and and didn't let you at least you know like get you down and, and kind of made you more more willing to work towards that so that's yeah and and frankly it made me a storyteller i Mm -hmm. i I start my storytelling journey with the first time that i talk about i don't even actually say i'm undocumented in this but my application to uh the jack hancock scholarship like is the first time that i hint at the idea of it Mm. um and it's because i needed them to know but i didn't want to tell my professors and i didn't even go into the story about me getting denominated and all this but um it really telling my story as an immigrant is what allowed me to create a career as a storyteller because Mm -hmm. it, it, it was this idea and this concept that i actually have um i built a skill in organizing around immigrants 
Um, and for me, that's storytelling. And to this day, it's, it's what I do. Mm. That's awesome. So what do you wish people today? Because I feel like I haven't been hearing a lot about DACA lately. I know that there's a lot of things going on and I personally should be doing a lot more research on that. But what do you wish people knew more about documented people, documented students today? Yeah, so unfortunately, at this very moment, we are sort of in a weird halt um, because of a decision that came out of a Texas federal court. Mm -hmm. um, so as it stands right now, um, people who have DACA uh, will be able to continue to renew. However, um, anyone who's applied to DACA and has not yet been approved or anyone who would, who would be eligible to apply um, are not currently being processed. Um, and so I think it's important, and, and I put this in two ways. I hate having the economical conversation, but clearly like that's like the capitalistic way that America works. It's like realizing that like a lot of these students or, or young people who have DACA are also the reason that this country even kept going in the midst of a pandemic, right? Like for example, two thirds of the workers who are undocumented right? That's two thirds of the 11 million people are actually frontline essential workers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Meaning by, by frontline, meaning like they have to go to work. They have to actually show up. They can't work remotely. And that is what kept this country going. I also think in, in whenever people ask me about immig undocumented immigrants or DACA, um, you know, I, I think what one of the hardest pieces of this entire process is how dehumanized you are, mm -hmm. right? Dehumanized in regards to the officer I dealt with to do my biometrics for my residency, right? Was extremely homophobic. The officer I dealt with to get my citizenship literally like hated me for no reason and treated me like I was like the scum of the earth. Um, and, and I think that first and foremost, regardless of of what they bring on the economic side, of what they bring on whatever side, even the cultural side, they're human. Um, mm -hmm. And that's actually why I have human tattooed on me twice. Um, my, the first tattoo I ever got says human, and it's because it's this concept that's like, when you're going through this process, you're mm -hmm. literally made to feel not human, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even the concept of the word alien, right? Like we just got to a point where we're saying undocumented right. immigrants. And even then we're seeing a, a, the court that came down with the decision recently made an argument as to why they decided to use alien. And, the, and, and people might not know this, but even as you're going through the residency and then the citizenship process here, you have an alien number. Mm -hmm. That's literally how you get defined. And it's called an A number, but it's, it stands mm -hmm. for alien number. Um, and so I really, what I want people to know is that one, like these undocumented people, these people with DACA, like they're human first and foremost, just like you, they have brothers, they have sisters, they have fathers. Um, two, they have something to bring, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, this country actually would not run if it weren't for the fact that there's these uh, immigrants here picking the food that you're eating every fucking day. Mm -hmm. um and three yo these these aren't these are also not just people like i, I think people like to be like um, this is a classist thing about america mm -hmm. they're like well they're picking they're picking the food and like that's what they're skilled at no motherfuckers there's some of these people who are picking we have people in our families me and maria have people in our family who are literally surgeons in venezuela surgeons like and not like some whatever surgeon some of the top 
fucking surgeons in Venezuela who move here and then they're fucking teachers, which dope. Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to teachers too. Right, but right, it's that's like, not they should be able to like right. transfer those skills over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, we're definitely working within a broken system. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you bring up that like fear that the 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 immigration people bring into you. Because I remember going with my parents and every time we interacted with anybody from immigration, they were assholes, assholes to to us, to my mom, to my dad, to anybody who they communicated with. It's like they're trained to act that way. They're trained yeah. to be such fucking assholes. Like that's the only way that I can think of. They just pressure you and pressure you and ask you questions in such a horrible way that you all you feel is fear. The empathy yeah. goes away. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lack yeah, of empathy that goes away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You feel like they have so much control over you too. Right. Yeah. It's really sad, yeah. Yeah, and and Daniel, like having sharing your story and your journey, what would be something you would want to tell your younger self? So you currently now, what would you want to say to yourself, your younger self, in hindsight? Um, honestly, this sounds so corny, um, but I think more than anything, like not taking anything for granted, um, I. So for context, I first lived in Miami, as I mentioned, uh, when I moved here and then grew up in Orlando uh, with Maria. Um, But I just moved back to Miami. And it's been really beautiful because I feel like I'm like very nostalgic. Like I went, (laughs) no lie, y'all. I went to my childhood Target. And like, I went because I needed to get something. And I boohoo cried in the middle of just childhood Target. (laughs) And I think it's like just realizing like, all the amazing things like, you know, I'm now 32 years old and really thinking through all the things that like I continue to like now have memories of or, or try to like relive in some way or another, but not taking opportunities for granted. You know, yeah. um, I, I recognize sort of talking about that point that I made at the beginning of, of the conversation, like I did not get here because I had this drive and I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I got here because of community, right? Mm -hmm. I got here because at one point when I literally was homeless and was living out of my car, Maria's parents let me like live in her room while she was off in college, right? Like I got here because my chorus teacher from sixth grade, who I still talk to to this day, right? Was like sending me money for food because I was like starving. Right. And so I think it's like important to like, as I think about my younger self, as I think about the young people who are in my life now, right? Like I have a nephew who's 14, who's literally going to like one of the high schools I I was going to go to in Orlando. Um, It's really like taking, taking as much as you can from everything around you, because Mm -hmm. even for my mom, my mom was like an amazing artist and creative. And I find myself in my studio, uh, which is where I'm calling you all from every single day, just trying to remember some of the things that she taught me, or even that she taught me inadvertently, right? Like just being around her. Um, Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say in regards to my younger self is like, the most powerful thing I did was learn to tell my story. Mm -hmm. So now when I see these young people, uh, you know, I I was very privileged to work with the students from Parkland uh, during their tour, the March for Our Lives tour. And when I see these young people, I'm like always like moved because I'm like, damn, like if there was anything I would change, it's like learning to tell my story just a little younger. 
uh, mm -hmm. because it's a really powerful tool. It's so interesting that you say that because I wanted to ask you, how do you see Gen Z and, you know, they're, I feel like they have so much drive to change the world. And it's so exciting to see that because I feel like that's how I felt too, right? But I feel like they have so many resources out there to I share, do. collaborate, and communicate. Are you excited about this next generation of, of activists and world teachers? Honestly, I think it's like, I, I talk about this all the time. So the generation above us, like, hated on us. They were trained to hate on us, right? They were trained to be like, well, you should have a house now because you're 22 and you graduated and you should go buy a house. And at 25, where's your kid, right? And frankly, most of our parents did that, right? Like they did that. And for, I don't fucking know how, cause I'm 32 and I'm like, I can't shout out to all my friends who have kids, but I can't currently see myself <laughs> with a child. I like and having that responsibility, right? Um, but when it comes to Gen Z, I talk about them all the time. Like I love Gen Z. I'm extremely inspired by Gen Z. And I also, mm -hmm. as you said, Maria, like they not only have the resources, but they have the like, we don't give a fuck attitude uh -huh. that like I think we lacked, right? Like yeah. we like wanted the I don't give a fuck attitude. And 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 we 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 brought like half of it, right? Yeah, we yeah. Were still, like, oh no, okay, no, my bad. I overstepped. Whereas like Gen Z literally gives zero fucks. Like, mm -hmm. do you stand for what's right or do you not? If you don't, get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. And honestly, I'm all the way here for it. I'm all me the way too. Here for it. Honestly, me too. Honestly, and it. I think for us, it was like we were still in this path that it was like you have to get a good job and hustle and yep. like yep. it was like a race to the finish line. We were told, I think, right? a lot of lie, like lies, like or yeah. you know, the generation before us too. I think it's like you have to get a a college degree you have mm -hmm. to have a house you have to have all of these like steps and then i think in the middle of us getting there it was like what the fuck this is bullshit yeah. <laughs> like, this isn't, we, we've been lied to <laughs> and then i think the next generation knows oh they didn't work out for them so yeah. we we could do it we're gonna else. do our own shit good, yeah. and yeah y'all just leave us alone yeah exactly um, yeah. yeah i i love gen z and I, I i talk you know as someone who works in social impact um I talk about this all the time. Like a lot of these companies aren't going to survive uh -huh. if um, mm -hmm. they don't prioritize, particularly even with our generation, right? Like our generation moved companies, but I think Gen Z in particular and the generation that will come after them, like a lot of these companies aren't going to survive if um, not only if they don't center their work around social impact and the impact that they're having around the world, even if it's a, a product-based, you know, um, company, um, but they're not going to survive if they don't actually stick to the shit, right? Like yeah. with our generation, we had like corporate social responsibility, and it was like, oh yeah, oh do all this bad shit, but then do this good shit, mm -hmm. and then it cancels itself out. Whereas Gen <laughs> yeah. Z is like, all right, here's the good shit you did, here's the bad shit you did, here's your accounting <laughs> for that. <laughs> this is the budget you have to not fuck up anymore. Yeah. Um, and I love that shit. So yeah. accountability at its truest. And, yeah, and actually I work for a university and I work with employers who want to hire our students at FIU. And we're seeing that, like our students want to know what our company's doing in terms of DEI work and oh, wow. what does their leadership look like? And not just saying what they're going to do, but also like, like you said, sticking to it and right. making sure that it's tangible and not just like a picture on your Instagram 
you know, like a black square when it's like uh -huh. a trend, right? Making sure that DI is not a trend, but actually a core value for your company. And students are really thinking like, if a company doesn't align with my values, they're not gonna wanna interact or work for them. And that's right. just the reality. And, and companies that like, I totally agree, they're gonna have to either move with it or move out of their way. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And there's companies that are doing it. And I think that's the difference mm -hmm. now too, right? It's like, there's companies that are doing it and they're like, all right, we'll just take all this talent. Absolutely. We'll just all this. And we've seen these like multinational corporations have to shift their strategies because it's like the generations that you need to help maintain you, um, you got to get them on board. So, right. mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. Well, as we are wrapping up, Daniel, I want to ask you one last question. So, what are you currently working on? What do you want to let the people know? Uh, what are you excited about? I know you're back in Miami. You're so close to uh, me now. I know. I love it. Um, so, how how has that been? And and what are you currently working on now? Yeah. So, um, I spent. I didn't. I skipped this as part of my story, but I spent uh, about seven years uh, building and working on a social impact creative agency, which is called the Soze Agency, based out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, I left my position as a co-founder and partner at the end of 2019. Uh, but as part of that, I've actually been working on this campaign for the last now eight years, both through the agency and now on my own, called I Am an Immigrant. Um, and so the campaign, as I mentioned to you all, storytelling is really important to me. Uh, the campaign is around telling stories of immigrants and their allies all across the nation. So normally we travel across the entire nation, pre-pandemic, of course, uh, collecting stories. And we're looking to find ways to sort of revamp that for this coming year, um, including creating what is now called Immigrant Heritage Month, which we've been doing for eight years and feels really wild. Uh, that it's a thing because it was literally like something that like, you know, we were in a meeting being told like, hey, so we think we're going to do this thing called Immigrant Heritage Month. And uh, here we are eight years later, like making it happen. Um, in regards to me personally, I actually took a year to like really focus on my mental health and my spiritual health. Um, and now that I'm back in Miami, um, I'm really focused on building what will probably be my next company just centered around social impact. I'm really into fashion, art, and entertainment, but all when, uh, with the intersection of social impact. Um, so currently working on what my next steps are gonna be for that and really thinking about how I invest in the next generation um, uh, in regards to young people who are trying to do this work um, and who are super invested in the idea of creating something and leaving some the world better than we, than we found it. That's amazing. Yeah. And Damn. thank you for sharing your story and being here with us. It is so inspiring, so exciting to see everything that has led you to this moment. And then it's exciting to see what will come and mm -hmm. um, what's in the future because it's, it's inspiring and exciting. Thank you us. all so much. I really, really appreciate this. I'm also, Alejandro, I obviously just met you, but Maria, I'm so fucking proud of you. This oh. is dope. Um, and just excited for what's to come. Um, and thank you all for creating this platform. Happy to be yeah. here. No, I've told you this many times, but you're for our family. And for me personally, you've just always been such an inspiration. And I'm getting emotional now <laughs> because I'm an emotional person. But honestly, like, I've always looked up to you for since, you know, since since I got here, you know, and, and you've always been such an inspiration to me and, and to 
go for my dreams and to fight for what I believe in. And even when our families are crazy and <laughs> just like, you know, give us, really give us a hard time, I know I can always like go to you and vent and be like, you get it, you know, you get it. Of course, <laughs> so, of course. Just thank you for being here. And, you know, I am excited to see where you go from here. I'm excited to have you so close now. Yes. Um, and going to talk about mental health and taking that time for you. I think that's so important as well for people who are in this work and for people who are, you know, who, who want to see a change in the world, you also have to take a step back and really think about your own mental health and your own health first, because if you don't pour on yourself, you can't pour on others. So agree, thank you so much for being here. And thank you I, I hope we see each other soon. Yes, for sure. <laughs> much love you all. Take care. Ciao.